Hi guys, welcome back to day six in the 10 day countdown to the anniversary of Caden's death. Today is entitled, You Never Know Who Was Hurting. I told my 13-year-old I was doing 10 posts leading up to Caden's death date with all the most powerful lessons I had learned along the way. I asked for her teenage wisdom, what she thought her most powerful lesson learned had been. Without even thinking, she said this, you never know who is hurting, so freaking be nice. I decided to tackle that one tonight. She is so right. I've learned this lesson from several different angles over the last six years, Tonight, I will speak of the most profound way I've learned this through my own experience, and tomorrow I'll address how I learned it by watching the lives of Spencer and Caden from the seat of wife and mother. I learned much about it when they were alive, and have come to understand even more about it after their deaths. The way I've learned it for myself most profoundly was during an October night six years ago, just days after the father of my seven children, my husband died by suicide. Before his funeral, I was staying at my parents' house because I couldn't bear to be at my own house. Night would come, and all the kids would sleep on the floor in the front room, and I'd just wander around the house like a zombie. Sleep was completely elusive to me in the week following his death. One of those nights of wandering a dark house whose silence was so loud it wouldn't let me sleep, I was so distraught I felt like my body was going to explode. I don't really have words to address the depth of emotion that was coursing through my soul, The pain was something that penetrated to the cellular level. I was standing watching over all of these seven little people sprawled together on the floor, overcome with grief at how their lives were now unalterably different, and there wasn't anything I'd ever be able to do to fix that for them. The fear of how to do this on my own without Spencer and the sheer pain of his sudden departure from our lives left me feeling like I would never breathe normally again. I murmured quietly but out loud to God as I wandered the house. I told him over and over that he had the wrong girl. I wasn't capable. I wasn't strong enough. I didn't have what it would take. I wasn't that kind of person who could do things this hard. I turned away from this scene of children who only escape their new reality in their sleep and turned towards a large window that takes up the length of the wall in their front room. A heavenly spotlight spilled into that room, laying moonlight over those I loved most in the world. I turned to the moon and pressed my hands and forehead on the window, letting the coolness of the glass temper the fire raging in my blood. When I pulled my hands away, they had an eerie color to them because of the pearly moonlight flooding in the window. I turned my hands over and over, feeling utterly shocked that my skin was intact. I couldn't understand how a cyclone of grief and pain that felt like a wildfire consuming the entire forest of my soul did not physically rip through my skin. I had an out-of-body feeling of awe at how strong our skin is. I thought to myself, I should be bleeding. My cells are bleeding. My bones are weeping. My heart is dying. My skin should be ripping open. Why aren't I bleeding? How can our thin skin contain this much emotion raging in a human body? Suddenly the thought came to me, this is why Jesus Christ bled in Gethsemane, giving the ultimate sacrifice for those he loves. Yes, there is much symbolism in his blood, but I felt I found my own physiological explanation 
as to why. The emotion he had to endure was simply too large, too intense, too fiery, too excruciating, too sad, too devastating, too awful to be contained within his mortal frame. His immortality allowed him to survive this, but his body still had to endure the pain on a physical level, and that meant pain that was so powerful that his skin was unable to contain it. I have found this truth has resonated deeply with me. That night in front of a window bathed in a rich October moon, I came to connect with Gethsemane and Christ in a very small fraction of understanding. I came to know sometimes what is inside of us feels so immense that it must push itself out our very skin. I believe that is one of the reasons Christ must have bled to complete the atonement. I cannot fathom the degree of emotion that he felt. I feel grateful beyond description that he loved us enough to do that for us. We all will face Gethsemanes in our lives. Look to God, and he will keep our skin strong. He will be the source that will bring aid to the wildfires that threaten to overtake our souls. I testify that Gethsemane happened, that Christ felt emotions powerful enough to break the barrier of his skin. I always believed this, but that night I came to know it. I tell this very personal story to say this. We have no freaking clue who is on fire beneath their skin. They will appear normal to us on the outside, but could be screaming on the inside. This weird thing would happen to me when I was standing in lines at stores or out among strangers. I would have to restrain myself from tapping people on the shoulder to say, hey, so my husband died a few weeks ago. I don't feel as normal as I look right now. Or as I'm handing my insurance card to the receptionist at a doctor's appointment, wanting to blurt blurt out, I buried my 16-year-old last week. I know I'm standing here quiet and calm, but last night I screamed in my pillow in the middle of the night for an hour, and I'm still screaming on the inside this morning, and that's actually how I lost my voice, in case you were wondering. It's like I felt like a fraud mingling with the normal people when I was one of the abnormal people. It's why I struggled with being a recluse and skipping out on events at the last minute, and being flaky with my friends, and bouncing from family dinners unexpectedly or not even showing up at all. I didn't have it in me to hide the hurt sometimes, to silence the screaming, or to put the grief on the shelf so I could make my, myself presentable for other non-grieving humans. This got better with time. What I didn't understand at the time, that I'm so grateful I understand now, is I really was among my own in the line at the grocery store. I was in similar company sitting at the doctor's office waiting to be called back. I was carrying similar feels as the guy who worked the counter at my favorite Maverick. Over the years, so many people have reached out to me over Facebook with their stories. I have been humbled to learn how much hurt is carried within all of us. Some people carry pain burdens hard for even me to conceive. I often will look up their profile to put a face to the stories they tell, and I'm always shocked that the person I'm seeing in the pictures on their profile is the same person who carries the story that was just shared with me. I consider those stories sacred. To be trusted with a story of pain is a powerful responsibility and gift. Those who have, thank you. It has taught me so much about never assuming anything by how someone presents to the world. I make it awkward often when I meet people. I ask direct questions about them, their story, their visible tattoos, where they are from, what their dreams are. I do this now because I'm trying to cut through the bullshit and get to someone's real story and connect on a meaningful level with them. I learn from everyone's story. I've mostly learned that I'm not alone. I've mostly learned never to assume about people. 
I've mostly learned that everyone can tell you something that has happened in their life that's been devastating. I've mostly learned that some of us can fake no pain, scary good. I've mostly learned that unspoken hurt weighs 10 times more than spoken hurt. I've mostly learned that God wired and designed us to connect with each other. The times that will feel the most intense is we are, when we are connecting in joy and when we are connecting in pain. Those emotions are soul emotions bigger than mortality. When we are connecting from those places, we are connecting our souls. That connection is intense and healing and needful and restores hope. Connecting through pleasantries won't do it. It's not enough to be able to figure out who is hurting and who isn't. Dig deeper, my friends. Don't be afraid to make it awkward. I sometimes still will take a quiet moment to marvel at my hands that even still, they have never torn open from the grief that I continue to look normal on the outside. God has made our mortal bodies resilient and capable of absorbing astronomical amounts of pain. Then with time, he can apply healing, and where there were once forests of charred and fallen trees and ash along the ground, there's green, there's growth, there's color, and there is beauty. He loves us. His goal is to help us make our souls beautiful. I'm not there yet. Forests can take a long time to reclaim their beauty in a land laid to waste by fire. I'm getting there, though, and so are my children. All of God's children have strong enough skin to rise from the ashes of our fiery Gethsemanes. Grieve in the light, my friends. That's much more tolerable than the darkness. And remember, you never know who is hurting, so freaking be nice. Caden, I miss how your skin smelled when you'd come lay by me in bed after you'd shower at night to tell me about your day. I miss how your skin felt against my neck when you've given me one of your crushing bear hugs. Your skin was strong enough to keep in all of your pain and hide it from the world. How I wish you would have let it out. Love you, buddy. I miss you my, like wildfire. So keep grieving like a badass because I see you, I stand with you, and you definitely are not alone. Oh,